Good morning, church. Um, my name is Cliff, and I'll be reading the Bible for you guys today. And before, before we read, I'll pray. Heavenly Father, um, your word is truth, your word is life. I pray that you humble our heart as we read through the scripture and give us understanding. In Jesus' name, amen. So we'll be reading uh, Matthew 26, 1 to 16 today. If, if you're using the church Bible, it will be five, 553. When Jesus had finished saying all these things, he said to his disciples, As you know, the Passover is two days away, and the Son of Man will be handed over to be crucified. Then the chief priests and the elders of the people assembled in the palace of the high priest, whose name was Caiaphas, and they schemed to erase Jesus secretly and kill him. But not during the festival, they said, or there may be a riot among the people. While Jesus was in Bethany in the home of Simon the leper, a woman came to him with an alabaster jar of very expensive perfume, which she poured on his head as, she was as he was reclining at the table. When the disciples saw this, they were indignant. Why this waste, they asked. This perfume could have been sold at a high price and the money given to the poor. Aware of this, Jesus said to them, Why are you borrowing this woman? She has done a beautiful thing to me. The poor you will always have with you, but you will not always have me. When she poured this perfume on my body, she did it to prepare me for burial. Truly I tell you, Wherever this gospel is preached throughout the world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. Then one of the twelve, the one called Judas Iscariot, went to the chief priest and asked, What are you willing to give me if I deliver him over to you? So they counted out for him thirty pieces of silver. From then on, Judas watched for an opportunity to hand him over. Hey, thank you very much for that, Cliff. Hey, good morning. It's great to be here uh, this morning. Uh, for those I haven't met, uh, my name's Rob. I'm on the staff team here at City on a Hill. And it's uh, great to be able to dig into this passage uh, together. Uh, but first, let us, uh, let us pray. Dear Lord, Heavenly Father, we pray that you would lead us and guide us uh, as we uh, read and unpack your word together. May your word seep into our hearts, open our eyes to understand, Lord, and that it will transform us and change us, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. So in uh, 2019, David Rose uh, is in the UK. He's working at a rubbish dump. So it's not a glamorous job, but it did have one perk that he made the most of, he could take home and keep whatever he found at the dump. So one day, a woman uh, dropped off an old tattered box uh, to the dump, and David Rose was curious. So he had a look inside, and he just, all he found was an old, tatty old hat uh, and an old cigar and 200 old letters. But his interest uh, was, he, he was curious, so he took that home, and he read those letters. So what he discovered was it wasn't just any ordinary old hat 
It wasn't just any ordinary cigar, but it was in fact the hat of Winston Churchill, the Prime Minister in World War II, and it was his iconic top hat that he wore in all those photos, and it was the cigar that he had as well. And as he read those letters, he discovered that the hat and cigar was gifted by Winston Churchill uh, to his personal cook uh, during World War II. So for one person, uh, that woman who dropped off that box, she thought was junk. She saw no value in it at all. While David Rose, when he explored, when he looked into it, he discovered a treasure. He, He saw value in that. Something of financial and historical value. So as we're, we're going to dive into this passage uh, today, we're going to see something similar here. We're going to see uh, differing responses to Jesus, because on one hand, we're going to see people who see him as worthless, as disposable, but then we're also going to have a look at someone who sees through that and sees someone who is incredibly and immensely valuable and treasures him. And as we go through this together, we're, we're going to look at this, this question of how do we see Jesus? And what value do we place on him in our lives? Because everyone places a value on Jesus uh, in some way, and how we choose to fit Jesus in our life is determined at what value that we place on him. So we're going to dive into this passage. I'll encourage you to have uh, the Bible open, uh, the page open to that. We're going to be referring back to it um, as we go through it. And we're going to see four groups of people, which shows us four different ways we can value Jesus. Uh, So firstly, we're going to have a look at the priests. Uh, And we're going to see how they view Jesus. So let's have a look at verses 3 and 4 together. So verse 3 and 4, Then the chief priests and the elders of the people assembled in the palace of the high priest, whose name was Caiaphas, and they schemed to arrest Jesus secretly and kill him. So how, how do the priests here uh, see Jesus? Well, they see him as disposable. Uh, how do they value him? Well, they don't value him at all. And uh, like the woman at the beginning who rejected this box, worthless trash, uh, that's how they perceive Jesus in their life. And then also, verse 5 uh, hints at the reasons uh, why they see him uh, as a threat. Uh, so let's have a look at verse 5. So they're talking amongst themselves, and they say, but not during the festival, they said, or there may be a riot among the people. They're afraid of the delicate political and religious situation um, that they're in because what they want is they want to keep the status quo. Uh, What they want is to stay and remain in the positions of power and influence and authority that they are in and the financial benefit that they receive from that. And ultimately, they see Jesus as a threat to their way of life and to the lifestyle that they want to live. This is um, also, is also coming up on the lead up to the Passover festival. So this is a really important time for the Jewish people uh, as they remember when God delivered uh, them out of slavery in Egypt. So during this time, 
Jerusalem, uh, so normally has a population of 30,000 people, is swelling to over 180,000 people uh, during uh, this week. And on top of that, along with that, uh, Jerusalem also, during this period, has a history of religious upheaval, uh, of riots. So the chief priests are well aware of the delicate uh, situation that they're in because they want to remain in, uh, in their privileged positions and they see Jesus as a threat to that. So that's the first group. We've got the priests who see Jesus as a threat to their way of life. Uh, but they're also someone else who rejects Jesus. So well, let's have a look uh, at verses 14 to 16. Verse 14 to 16. Then one of the twelve, the one called Judas Iscariot, went to the chief priests and asked, what are you willing to give me if I deliver him over to you? So they counted out for him 30 pieces of silver. From then on, Judas watched for an opportunity to hand him over. What's going on here? I mean, this, this man has been with Jesus for three years. Judas has traveled with him. He's lived with him. He's eaten with him. He's been taught by him. But even Judas a man who's been with Jesus for so long, rejects Jesus and, and sees him as disposable. Uh, and verse 15 is quite telling, isn't it, uh, at his reasons why. Let, let's look at the, his question again uh, to the priest. What are you willing to give me if I deliver him over to you? He, the second group, Judas, he sees Jesus as someone to profit from, someone for, to get a quick buck, is someone to take advantage of for his own gain. But as we come to the third group, uh, looking at the woman, uh, whose story takes up a big uh, chunk of this uh, passage, well, her response is so radically different uh, to that of the priest uh, and, the, and Judas. So let's have a look at verse uh, 6. As soon as verse 6, while Jesus was in Bethany in the home of Simon the leper. So Jesus, uh, during, leading up to the Passover f- festival, he's staying in the town of Bethany, uh, which is just outside the Jerusalem walls. I, I Google mapped it. Uh, it takes an hour and a half to walk there. Uh, so, and he's, while he's in the house there in Bethany, something peculiar happens. So let's have a look at what happens. In verse 7, a woman came to him with an alabaster jar of very expensive perfume, which he poured on his head as he was reclining at the table. I think what's fascinating here is we're not talking about a $30 bottle perfume from the warehouse. Uh, We're not talking about a can of links being emptied upon Jesus. In another gospel and another retelling of this, uh, it mentions that it's equivalent to a year's wage. So in our in New Zealand dollars uh, today, that will be about $60,000. So this woman values him so much that she is willing to dump 60 grand worth of perfume over his head. I, I love my wife Joy a lot, um, but I I don't think I could uh, pour 60 grand worth of perfume over here. I, I, actually, I don't even think she would allow me to do that. 
So why, why does this woman see Jesus as the most valuable thing to the point that she is willing to pour $60,000 upon him? It's because she gets it. Because she actually sees who Jesus really is. And her, her act here shows that she knows something that the other people the, don't. So if Judas and the priests are like that woman who rejects that box uh, at the dump and seen it as disposable, she is like David Rose. She has seen something immensely valuable and, is, and treasures it. So her act uh, shows us two things. Uh, firstly, she sees Jesus as the Messiah, as God's promised ruler uh, and saviour, that the Jewish people have been uh, just clinging on to hope, waiting for God's appointed king to return. Because uh, her act of pouring expensive perfume or oil uh, has significance in the Old Testament. So in the Old Testament times, uh, pouring out expensive oils and perfumes is used in anointing kings and priests uh, for a God-appointed role. Uh, for God-appointed reason and purpose. So her act of pouring this perfume on Jesus is an outward expression that Jesus is the God-appointed person for a particular purpose, for a particular mission. Secondly, her act shows us that she understands what's about to happen. And she understands Jesus' true purpose here on earth. Uh, so we're going to have a look at, at verse 12, and this is how Jesus interprets her act. Um, so Jesus is talking to the disciples. When she poured this perfume on my body, she did it to prepare me for burial. So for the uh, Jewish people at this time, uh, burial rituals are an important part of their culture and religion. But criminals, or anyone who's, who's crucified, uh, by the Romans, are not given that opportunity. They're buried straight away. Uh, so this, this book was written by Matthew, and it was written primarily for, at the time, to Jews as an evangelistic message. So the original readers would have understand uh, that, that, sort of, that cultural context. There's a, I think there's a bit of lack of consensus among commentators about the woman's motivation. Uh, some people... Some writers believe that her motivation is a little bit ambiguous um, and that Jesus has interpreted uh, her acts to mean this way. Uh, other writers, and I think I'm leaning towards that, believe that this woman knows exactly what she's doing and knows exactly what's coming up for Jesus. Because what's really important here is that the timing of when she does this, she's doing this right up to the lead up to his death, two days away. He's dying in two days' time uh, after uh, him. He's been predicting, Jesus has been predicting his death, but it's after him actually predicting the exact date and the fact that he's going to be crucified uh, makes her act, I think, incredibly significant. Because what she's making as a statement is not just a statement of love and devotion, but also it's a statement of hope, of great hope, because even, as, even though Jesus is about to die as a criminal, 
a dishonorable death. But that she's saying, no, his death wasn't, isn't wasted. No, his life wasn't in vain. That he deserves the burial rights because there's value in his death and his life. And what's really important also is you think about the, the anointing of the Messiah is that the Old Testament priests and kings, they were anointed at the beginning of their ministry, at the beginning, before their work is yet to begin. So she is anointing Jesus now, knowing that his work is yet to unfold. And what she's hinting at is that, hey, yes, his teaching's great. Yes, his healings and miracles are amazing. But his real purpose is yet to come, is yet to happen. And this isn't kept as a, a, a secret. I mean, Jesus hasn't just secretly told her and no one else. Uh, Jesus has been uh, just revealing that right throughout the whole book of Matthew. And, and he's, he actually literally says that in verse 2. So let's have a look at verse 2 and see what he says. So Jesus is talking to the disciples. The Son of Man will be handed over to be crucified. And this term, uh, Son of Man, has Old Testament significance for the Jewish people. It's a title that refers to the prophecy in Daniel 7. Uh, and, it's refer- and Jesus is referring himself, calling himself the Son of Man, is pointing to the God-appointed king and ruler who will save his people and who will rule an everlasting kingdom. But what's fascinating throughout the book of Matthew and in this verse here is that Jesus often talks about the Son of Man in the context of death and suffering. The thing is, what the woman gets and understands is that Jesus is the most valuable thing because he is her savior, her king. And how is he going to do that and fulfill that? Through suffering and death on the cross. There's also a a fourth group uh, revealed in this passage. There's a group of people who are uh, watching or what's going on and they're just a little bit confused. They don't really understand what's going on here. And that's the disciples. Uh, So let's have a look at the reaction to the woman's um, actions in in verses 8 and 9. So verses 8 and 9, when the disciples saw this, they were indignant. Why this waste, they asked. This perfume could have been sold at a high price and the money given to the poor. I feel like I I could actually relate to that response. Um, If I saw someone today after the service uh, go up to Andy here, with a bottle of very expensive perfume and poured it over his head. If I knew anything about perfume, um, which I don't, and if I knew that it was worth $60,000, I want to yell out and say, what are you doing? $60,000, that's a lot of money. We could have given that to the poor and the needy. There's a lot of that here in Wellington. Well, we could have put that into a building fund or, or uh, hired a, another staff worker for the team. Surely... The disciples' response is the right response, isn't it? I mean, especially considering uh, what we were just looking at the previous week, in the previous chapter. Literally, that last section 
in the chapter before, uh, Jesus is teaching that if you don't love the needy and the poor, then you don't love me. So surely the disciples' response is the right response. But what Jesus is trying to tell them and show them here is that, look, hey, you don't get it. Hey, you're always going to have the poor, but you're not always going to have me. That my death is imminent. Like, hey, I've just told you. I'm going to be here for two days. And then I'm going to die. Because the fact is the disciples, they totally miss the point and miss what's going on in front of them. And they just can't wrap their head around how it's possibly worth pouring $60,000 upon Jesus and honoring him in such an extravagant way because they just don't treasure and see who Jesus really is. Uh, So how does this fourth group, the disciples, how, how do they see Jesus? Well, they just don't really understand. They don't really know what they're looking at. So what we've seen in uh, this passage here. Four different ways that we can value Jesus. Now, I now want to raise a question to you guys. How do you view Jesus? How do you see Jesus? As I raised earlier, everyone places a value on Jesus. So maybe for some of us here, Uh, Jesus is an obstacle. Um, Maybe like the priests, Jesus presents opposition to the way that you want to live and the lifestyle that you want to live. Maybe you have big dreams in your life for pursuing power or influence or wealth or a particular lifestyle or career advancement and that you see Jesus as a obstacle as a speed bump in the way of pursuing what you want. For others, uh, they might value Jesus like Judas. Uh, They've been sitting in church for a while. Uh, They've been listening to sermons. Maybe they read the Bible occasionally. And they think they know who Jesus is. But how do they see Jesus? As someone who they can profit off. Someone that they can personally benefit from. And they use Jesus and his church and wider Christianity as a whole to gain what they want for themselves. Wealth or power or influence or respect. And, they, and they, ultimately they approach, uh, approach Jesus and the church with their underlying motivation of what can Jesus do for me? What can the church do for me? Or are we like the disciples? Maybe we're still trying to figure out who Jesus is. Are you still a little bit confused? Maybe you've been here for uh, 30 years in the church. Maybe it's your first Sunday. And you're still trying to figure out who Jesus is and how he fits into your life and how much we should value him. Or are you like the woman in this story? Who like... David Rose, at the beginning, has found a treasure. And and when she finds out who Jesus truly is 
and what he's about to do for her and what his mission is. The fact that Jesus is her king and savior, but yet will suffer and die for her. That she treasures him so much that pouring out $60,000 worth of perfume, it compares nothing to having Jesus. I, I personally, I, I, I want to be honest, I, I personally wish that was me. But are you like me and the idea of giving up 60000 because we have Jesus? Do you cringe at that? Um, I don't have 60000 but if I, even if I took out half of my savings, I would struggle with that. It's like, no, no, that's mine. And on top of that, I feel like at times there's stuff in my life that are immovable, that are essential, and that I try and fit Jesus around that. Uh, maybe for us it's, I've got to have a minimum seven hours sleep. I've got to save X amount of money each week. I've got to earn a certain amount each year. I've got to live in a certain city, in a certain suburb. I've got to own a home, and I've got to own a particular uh, kind of t- Uh, of home, I've got to have a certain job, have a certain amount of free hours for myself, I've got to have a certain hobbies, be a part of certain sports teams, have a certain social circles, and then when we figured out the lifestyle and the life that we want, then we try to squeeze Jesus in the gaps, try and squeeze him into the leftover time and and allocate the leftover money and resources that we've got left over for Jesus. But with this attitude, that shows us that we don't comprehend who Jesus is and what he has done for us. And what the amazing thing is, is that if we want to value Jesus more, well, I think the first step we need to do is like this woman, is we need to discover who Jesus truly is. For all of us, read the Gospels, read the Bible, read God's Word, soak ourselves in and understand and learn about what Jesus has done for us. Uh, for those of us here who are you're still trying to figure out who Jesus is, you don't really know who he is, trying to figure out how he fits into your life, I really encourage you to uh, reach out. Come along to the life course. It's not too late. You may have been coming to church for quite a few years. Don't be embarrassed. Come along to the life, life course. Reach out to uh, either myself or anyone on the staff team. We want to help you discover who Jesus is and the immense treasure he is in your life. For all of us, I encourage you to pray, to cry out to God. Cry out that he will open our eyes and our hearts to see who Jesus truly is, so that when we dwell on the cross, when we see what Jesus has done for us, that we will be moved, that we will be filled with emotion, with love, with affection, with devotion because of what Jesus has done. 
so that we're like this woman, that we just see Jesus and we're just overcome with wanting to express that. That starts with just asking God, praying, will you move me so that when I see you, when I see Jesus, all I want to do is express that and praise you and glorify you. So I want to leave you with that question here today. Uh, As you go off this afternoon, tonight, this week, I really encourage you to ponder this question and honestly ask yourself this question. Honestly answer it. How do you value Jesus? Out of those four groups of people, who do you most likely associate with? Who do you feel like you relate to the most? And don't let that drag you down and feel guilty and sorry for yourself. Go and pray. Go and pray that we will be more like that woman. Because all of us here, we have been given that old tattered box that some people have rejected. All of us, we have that box on our lap right now. And the question is, is that we all have a choice. Are we going to open that box and discover the immense treasure that lies within, like David Rose? Or are we going to reject it and see it as worthless? So let us, with that in mind, let us bow our heads, let us pray, and that God would really impact and change our lives through this passage. Let us pray. Dear Lord, Heavenly Father, thank you for your word that you have revealed to us who your son Jesus truly is and what amazing things he has done for us on that cross. Father, we pray that you would move our hearts so that we would see Jesus as our treasure, that we will be moved with an emotion, with affection, with love because of what Jesus has done and that we will make him the priority in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. So as I invite the uh, music team up, uh, we're going to respond uh, to this passage in song. Uh, turn your eyes onto Jesus. And it's just a really great, uh, I think just a really great reminder uh, as we sing that just like this woman, let's fix our eyes upon Jesus and see the magnificent and glorious thing he has done for us. So let us, let us stand and respond.